Namaste and welcome to Indian Entrepreneur. I am your host Shwet Nag. Before we begin this episode, we would like to dedicate this episode to Bhai Gurmeet Singh Virdi as a remembrance on his 84th birthday, which was on the 13th of April. Gurmeet ji influenced the lives of countless students that he taught over a period of 50 years and gained the respect of many fellow musicians. We will find out more about him and how his legacy continues today as Darbar Festival. When I was younger with my father I used to have these conversations I used to have this argument that if someone is good they would be well known but my father proved me wrong because he said no what it is is that they are great masters they're not given the chance and I said dad you're wrong I said look no I said if if you're good inevitably you will be found out and then you will be given the place now years on I realized that my father was right On today's episode we have Sandeep Virdi who is the founder and artistic director of Darbar Festival an accountant and entrepreneur Sandeep's dedication to Indian classical music is exceptional Sandeep was awarded OBE in 2017 by the Queen of England for his contribution to Indian classical music so let's talk to Sandeep Virdi So my first question to you Sandeep uh, could you tell us where you were born and what was your childhood like So Swetnag I was uh, I was born in uh, Kenya in uh, in a town called Nakuru uh, which is uh, outside the capital uh, of Nairobi and uh, I was born in um, 1966 I was born at home uh, which was kind of the normal thing in those days it wasn't always in the hospitals and um From what I remember it was a, a very happy childhood it was predominantly at that time um, me and my sister my sister was older my mom and dad uh, my dad was a, a zoologist and uh, he was into botany and he was a, a teacher and he used to teach uh, uh, chemistry and and uh, biology uh, at uh, uh, what was then uh, O levels and uh, A levels um uh standard so he taught in, in schools and uh, it was quite young i was quite young at the age of 10 we we migrated uh from uh, uh africa to the uk and my dad's principal objective was that he should take his children um to become educated in in the uk and uh, when we left uh, my younger sister and my brother had my brother was less than 1 year old when we, when we left so it was a, a family of 6 uh, uh, that came to the uk in 1975 and i guess one of my um, early memories is uh, i think it was about i was about age 9 or something when my father decided that i should have the official ceremony uh, where you do at the star bandhan where you have a ceremony before the guru granth sahib to tie your turban where your mama ji ties it for you so i remember that quite vividly but other than that uh, i remember it as a as a happy childhood warm and sunny and we came to the uk and we thought oh my god what's this gray everywhere <laughs> and why do all the houses <laughs> look the same <laughs> what was your uh, interest when you were a child uh, were you playing music or were you into cricket or what were your hobbies when you were a child to be honest uh, I, i i don't remember like a lot of people uh, they passed in a lot of detail Uh, what i do remember is uh my father uh was a tabla player 
and uh, he he was uh, like an amateur tabla player he'd, he'd taken his training very seriously and uh, when he was in india when he was studying uh, at khalsa college in punjab um, he he learned from uh, some of the some of the great Uh, masters in Punjab, uh, notably Ustad Bahadur Singh. And uh, unfortunately, we, we cannot trace any recordings of him, but he used to be a regular at All India Radio. And uh, as we all know that unfortunately, All India Radio hasn't kept their archives in, in pristine con- condition or nor are they even available because they used to re-record over those tapes. Um, so he learned uh, from Ustad Bahadur Singh and uh, his classmate was Jagjit Singh and uh, the Ghazal singer. Uh, who went on to be become India's legendary uh, guzzle singer. So they were classmates. And um, yeah, so my early memories are of uh, wandering around the house and uh, listening to him whistling the nagma and uh, uh, practicing his tabla. And uh, so I remember, you know, music being a big part of it. Uh, going to the Gurdwara on, on, on weekends was a, a norm for us. Um, and I guess uh, I was into a little bit of... Uh, there wasn't that much in terms of what you, what you could do as a kid, but you used to go out and play with all the children like normal. Uh, but I do remember vividly that uh, I used to love playing with clay. Uh, because at the back of the garden we had clay and uh, one of my hobbies was to make uh, small animals uh, elephants especially and uh, as it turned out I didn't really understand at that time that you needed to put them in a kiln and then bake them (laughs) so they would often uh, I'd go back and find that they're all cracked up (laughs) you know okay (laughs) okay Uh, uh, what was your uh, uh, dream back Uh, then in, as a child you, you were in love with mathematics or science or what did you end up taking in the university later on to be honest when i was young i was very very quiet i was a very introvert person uh, none of my friends now ever believe that but uh, i i was i was a very very <laughs> quiet boy I'd, uh, i wouldn't say much at all and um i never had any ambition that when i grow up i'm going to become this or I'm going to become that. And uh, I never found studies interesting. And it was just purely by accident that one day uh, it had snowed in the UK and we couldn't go to uh, sc- school. Uh, but I, because I lived close to the school, I managed to go there. And the mathematics teacher said, well, why don't we do a review paper? And we did the review paper. And weirdly enough, that paper came up as the main paper. And then I got 95% or something. And I thought, is this it? Uh, this is really easy. I can do this. And then suddenly I just overnight switched and I decided that I would study hard. And uh, I got into um, thinking about it. I wanted to do architecture, but was advised against it. Uh, now, when I look back at it, I wish I had done that. But in the end, I ended up becoming an accountant. Um, so accountancy was the kind of my chosen profession. And uh, uh, I went on to do my um, exams and then I went on to do my university degree and then I got into management accounting and um, I was fortunate I got a small break and I was with a, an organization uh, for, for about, I think in total 15 years I was a financial controller. So that was kind of my background in, in that. But I guess when I was at university, 
or even earlier my father took me to a concert in in london at uh, uh, i think it was the queen elizabeth hall where pandit nickel benerji was playing uh, with uh, an in the chatterjee actually i stand corrected it's wigmore hall i remember that now it, there's a, there's a there's a hall called wigmore hall and it was a concert by uh, nickel benerji and an in the chatterjee that my father took me to and uh, that concert was probably the turning point uh, in my interest and so i went there and i think i must have just sort of got bored with the alarm but my god did i wake up when uh, an indoji started playing tabla and it was just like amazing and uh, after that i kind of just decided that i wanted to go to uh, listen to these concerts and uh, they were quite difficult because none of my friends were interested in classical music you know they were all into pop music um r&b uh, all of that so i had no one to talk to anyone about my interest in indian classical music and um my father had a number of records and uh, he would buy an occasional record i remember we had recordings of bade gulamali khan Ustad Amir Khan, uh, Begum Parveen Sultana, Pandit Jasraj. So we had all these records there and I'd sort of listened to them. But I was really wasn't that interested in Indian classical music at the time. I got a little bit more interested when I started listening to records of Nikhil Benerji or uh, Ustad Ali Abir Khan Saheb. uh or ustad vlad khan and what interested me back then was actually the tabla playing because my dad was a tabla player and i started learning a little bit but i never had a brilliant relationship learning from my dad i, I think he just found me really frustrating to teach so i think i'm just annoying and more than <laughs> something that he could celebrate and then in 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 the end what ha- started happening was that when i started working when i was a student i had some my, of my own money and then i started going to we were living in not uh, in southall and in southall we had a couple of record shops so i would go down there uh once a month uh, whenever i sort of saved up enough i'd go and buy a record i'd come back and uh, it was a weird situation um swetnag that i would go and put the the drutgat first not the alap side because i'd read what the alap side was on the drutgat and i'd go and listen to how many times the tabla player was given a chance to play and okay. if he was given three chances i thought that record was well worth it <laughs> right <Okay. laughs> so yeah. you have to understand that the culture of uk is very different to someone being brought up in the culture of india right so you yeah, so yeah, i was yeah. a young kid here um teenager and so i'd listen to the tabla i'd wear them out go back listen to the thing and then slowly i started listening to the whole drutgat and then as the more i kind of listened to it then i thought let me just go and see what's on the other side otherwise i just feel i'm wasting my money you know i'm just listening to half the <laughs> lp uh, then i started listening to the alap georgala and then i really kind of got into that and then slowly from there i started listening to amir khan started listening to uh wider and i i had a inquisitive mind and which led me to sort of uh, reach out to even heavier stuff then i got into the different gharanas starting to listen to to learn about what other gharana systems why do they exist who's who i became quite fascinated with with the older recordings by hmv uh so when i used to listen to a lot of that but it was uh, weird because it was insular it was like an, a weird insular uh, interest that i had and i couldn't share it with anyone and then uh, my father 
when he came to the UK, he decided he wasn't going to teach because he felt that the discipline of uh, students wasn't the same as in, in Kenya. And his other passion was uh, photography. So we had uh, a lot of tabla in the house because when he would teach, um, he used to teach in the in the house and then he would go in and teach in the community. And in the community, he used to have a Friday class and he used to have 50 students. Uh, imagine one big hall with 50 kids uh, and adults and he would separate them all. And he was such he was so well disciplined that no one there was no messing about. Everyone turned up. Everyone was quiet. It was like he had ultra control. He was very loving. It wasn't that he was like kind of brutal or anything like that. But he just commanded this presence that you, everyone just needed to respect the space that they were in, that this is something special. And uh, he taught right from beginners uh, all the way up to sort of advanced. And um, yeah, so I guess, you know, he, he taught and then because he was teaching, his name was put forward uh, as a teacher uh, to teach at a new project in Leicester. And the project was called the Leicestershire Music School of Music. And they had a, they wanted to set up an Indian music project. So they got four teachers together. They selected my father as a tabla teacher. Uh, Dharamveer Singh, who's a sitar player and uh, a student of Ustaz Valayat Khan, he was selected as a sitar teacher. And then they had a Kathak teacher and a vocalist, a local vocalist. So between the four of them, they started the project back in 1982 to teach as peripatetic teachers to go into schools. And I thought that was a wonderful initiative. So my father decided that he wanted to move from London to Leicester. Uh, Leicester's about 100 miles up north from uh, uh, London. I had no interest in wanting to leave London. And so I stayed back with my uh, uncles and the family moved up to Leicester. So my father um, got into his job. And then shortly after that, I, I got into university. So when I got into university, I was really interested in tabla uh, again. And uh, I used to constantly moan at Dharamve saying that you know, when we go to concerts, that was a, wasn't a great concert. The main artist just hogged the stage. It was all about the main artist, didn't give the tabla player a chance. And so <laughs> I had this weird thing. And then he said, well, if you're so concerned about it, why don't you set up your own organization? Well, I said, really? He said, well, look, there's the computer. And I'm talking about these are really old computers. Right? I think if I start mentioning them, people fall over. Mm -hmm. uh, so he had a really old computer with, with the word processor software on it. So I w he said, select a name and uh, get on with it. So I selected a name called Tal Rhythms of India. And uh, I set that up uh, as an organization to promote just tabla solos. And that was back in 1985. And then... Uh, Oh, from up to 1996, uh, I believe we did about 17 or 18 tabla solos. And we were very fortunate uh, that uh, as, a, as a young person, the great masters were very, very uh, good to us and agreed to do the tabla solos. So we had people like Pandit Sharda Sahib from Banaras Karana. And then uh, we had Pandit Anindo Chatterjee, Pandit Swapan Chaudhary. We had Zakir uh, Ustad Zakir Hussain, and uh, we had a lot of other uh, younger tabla players who came and performed. We had notably Bikram Ghosh, who, who was 18 at the time when he performed with his father, uh, Pandit Shankar Ghosh. So those were, I guess, my first experiences of organizing concerts. 
Um, and they were small scale, up to about 150 people. And because my father had a wide network of Tabla students, every time we did a concert, we managed to get 100, 125 people in, which was remarkable back then. And um, over the years, I developed an interest in hi-fi um my f- father's friend was into really top end hi-fi so in terms of like tape recorders those people who really understand he was into a recorder called the nakamichi uh recorder tape recorder and um i used to be a real hi-fi buff and then so when we started doing live concerts we really started looking at the technology of the microphone and how to mic it how to light it so somehow kind of production was really important to me because i the first concerts I saw were in London at the big halls. So I wanted to mimic that when I was doing that. But um, I guess what was interesting was that we did these concerts and my father was at the forefront. And during the intervals, my mum would make samosas. We'd try and sell those samosas and try and make the money. But every concert, I'd lose a little bit of money quietly. I never used to say anything to anyone. You know, just <laughs> thought, right, I'd lose a couple of hundred pounds or whatever, which was a lot of money that back then. And then in 96, yeah. I decided that, Sandeep, you can't study and do this. So then I just packed up the whole thing and uh, I, I, I stopped the... The, the classical thing. And then I went into my st- studies and uh, I went into my, my job. But, you know, trying to balance all of that and running a, a small organization with very little funding was, was very, very problematic. And then ultimately I thought, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll just go and listen to other concerts that were organized, which actually brings me on to something quite important. In the UK, we had a number of organizations and the person who kind of spearheaded the really high quality stuff was Jay Visvadev and he runs an organization called Summer Arts and he had really fantastic curation. He was the first curator I came across who had intellectually thought about what he was presenting and then he would do a series of concerts and then they'd be themed and through the theming, I learned a lot. And he was very, very open to a lot of the genres, a lot of the uh, artists, and then the Garana system. And he had the guts back then to promote some of the biggest artists in some of the finest venues. So that really inspired me. Um, and then we also had another organization called the Asian Music Circuit, which was funded by the Arts Council of England, well-funded, and they did a number of concerts. And we, we did a little, little bit of work with them uh, earlier on when I was running Thal, but not much. So we had a couple of uh, organizations in the UK that were supporting Indian classical tradition. Yeah, so I think that was, then I started attending a lot of those concerts and I wasn't then involved in, in much. And I guess... Uh, you know, my mind was still, even though I was working, was still on um, Indian classical music. And, you know, the uh, the Internet had kind of started and people were starting to set up websites. And I thought then that actually I think there's a way forward for um, doing something in a different way without having to do concerts. So I didn't want to go onto the concert scene back then. So what I did was I decided I would set up a, a virtual organization called Tabla Online. And uh, realized now that that was actually the wrong name to have chosen. So because Tabla Online was just a name I liked, okay. but it was actually meant to be for Indian classical music. 
and somehow uh, when we when we started that project we were very very blessed that um, there was a concert that Jay Viswadev was organizing at uh, the Symphony Hall in Birmingham which is a prestigious venue and he allowed us to launch the venue the uh, the the organization there with a short video and lighting of candles just to take uh, spiritual blessings so we had um, one of our Sikh spiritual uh, leaders by side Mohinder Singh uh, who came and blessed and uh, lit the first jyot and then my father was there Pandit Sharda Sahai was there uh, Ustad uh, Amjad Ali Khan Sahib was there and Pandit Aninda Chatterjee were there so the five blessed the organization on that day and then we went to all went to the Gurdwara did an Ardas did the prayer and then I started the work and the idea behind Tabla Online was for us to feature profiles of artists so people could learn short videos it was meant to be just like a lifestyle glossy uh, view of Indian classical music uh, with reviews and we were going to sort of develop it and that was in uh, 2004. Uh, so I launched that with uh, a couple of my friends, uh, Kulbir Nath, who's a, a writer, and uh, Rajan Mistry, who's uh, one of my dad's Tabla students, and he was a, a designer. So we had the writer, we had the designer, and I had the contacts with the artist. So we thought we'd start this. So three of us started that. And then uh, a few months later, uh, the following year, in in uh, March, uh, overnight, I just got a call from my brother saying, uh, Dad's passed away. And I was just like, what? And um, yeah, just overnight, no warning, no nothing. Uh, my father just passed away in his sleep. He was uh, 67. And uh, that came as a, as, as a shock. And then it became a defining point in my life. Uh, I had... Uh, no choice because I was living in London at that time and my mother and my father were living in Leicester so overnight I decided to go and stay with my mother and that was that became the sort of defining point and then after a couple of months I went and told uh, the music fraternity that dad had passed away uh, dad had lots of students and there must have been a few thousand people at his funeral you know so he was very loved in the community and uh, he was also very connected to the uh, the Sikh Kirtan. Uh, for 30 years in the UK, he performed with Sikh Kirtan and he had made a decision in his life when he came to the UK that he would not perform professionally anymore for money because he said, I get uh, paid through my work and he said, I could just do my Kirtan and the Kirtan gives me spiritually what I want. Um, and I remember asking him once, Dad, you know, what's your favorite music? And I was wanting him to say, you know, yeah, it's Indian classical music, blah, blah, blah. He just quietly turned around and he said, it's Kirtan. You know, and now when I reflect back at it, then you kind of realize how profound a statement that is for someone who is so, so abs uh, absorbed in the classical tradition. Wow. So then I told a number of musicians and uh, I vividly remember uh, Pandit Swapan Chaudhary, uh, who instantly said, Sandeep, uh, please do a, a, a memorial concert for him. He goes, I would like to come and play for him, come and play for his uh, soul, his spirit. And then the same thing happened with Pandit Aninda Chatterjee and the same thing happened with Pandit Kumar, Kumar Bose. And so we had kind of the three, you know, of the kind of four tabla players who had uh, instantly mm -hmm. agreed uh, that, yeah, we would like to come and perform. So then I set about thinking that I should do a tribute to my dad. And uh, the tribute 
I kind of sort of thought, what shall I do? Shall I just do one evening? And I thought, well, you know what? I'll just fund it myself. I'll just mm. ask the three double players to come. We'll just do an hour each just a, as a thing. It'll be quite nice. Then the kind of more I thought about it, I thought that, ooh, that might sound, seem like a competition or something. And it's not probably fair. Then who goes first? <laughs> who goes second? Who goes last? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I'm going to end up in some uh, hot water there somewhere. <laughs> And then I told a couple of other people, I told Kala Ramnath, and she said, Sandeep, can I come and perform in, in the first half, maybe? And she, you know, mm. then I got the idea that why not do one every day? And I thought, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe we can, we can maybe in the first half, we can ask other musicians. And then uh, before I knew it, we had so many people willing to come, uh, great masters, uh, that... Um, I went to a friend of mine, his name is Alpish Patel, and he ra- runs uh, Sense World Music. It's a CD label, and they're very connected to Subtek Festival. And um, I used to go to his record shop in, in Leicester and buy all my CDs. Um, so he was kind of the supplier of that, and we sort of got to know him. And then I went and spoke to their family. I said, look, I'm doing this for dad, but I'm not sure now it's become so big what to do with it. And they said, look, we're, don't worry, we know your dad. We'd, we'll help you out with this. So then uh, kind of it became a partnership between Dabla Online and then their Sense World Music. And at that time, there was a new venue being built uh, in Leicester called the People Center. Uh, the People Center is... Uh, um, spelt uh, as in you know the pipple tree that you have in the villages it's okay. it's really around that that was the idea of it uh so we spoke to them and they said that yeah that look the building is going to be ready we'll do yours yeah, as the first yeah, festive yeah. first event there so we thought okay fine okay. we've got the venue uh, got some support uh through the family the, in terms of capacity and then i set about it and then before we kind of knew it we sort of programmed it for three days. It was morning, afternoon, mm-hmm. evening concerts uh, to reflect it. Tribute became sort of really kind of major. And then I realized that I would have to sort of give up everything for one year at least, my work and everything, because it was no one had attempted to do a festival in, in, in England for, for this kind of thing. I mean, it was a, a memorial event. But then the kind of person my father was in his ethics and values – and the type of person he decided he was and the kind of the light that he brought into people's lives i decided that it needed to be a be called a festival to celebrate uh what indian classical music is about so that is how the festival came about and um, mm. we thought we we should name it and my father was very humble and i knew that calling it uh, Gurmeet Singh Festival would be incorrect and he wouldn't have wanted that. That wasn't his nature. And then we had uh, a brainstorming meeting with several mm. of us all sitting around having some chai one day and we thought, let's just think of a name. And uh, between all of us, I think it was Alpish's uncle who said, uh, why don't you call it Darbar? And the minute he said Darbar, I said, that's the name. It was just really obvious. We thought about different types of names. <laughs> and uh, the bar was, is special because of several things. One is that this tradition is comes out of the Darbari, Darbar courts of the Maharajas, uh, where uh, it was celebrated. But in the Sikh tradition, we have the Guru Darbar, where the Guru Granth Sahib Ji is kept in a Gurdwara. So when you go into a Gurdwara mm. and you go into the main hall where the Guru Granth Sahib is, we call it the Guru mm. Darbar. Or, and um, so there is a darbar connotation there. And uh, for 
you know, um, those who believe in transmigration, we believe that when we when we leave this thing, we this place, uh, this uh, life of ours, when we go, we will be presented before his his darbar where you're judged and this, you know, your next uh, path is then chosen for you. So it became quite a spiritual position. And for us in the Sikh tradition, we also have the mm-hmm. Darbar Sahib, which is the golden temple. And so Darbar seemed to be the logical name. And uh, then that was the genesis of the Darbar festival. And um, what was interesting was it was, we had made it really clear that this was a single event and we were not, we're not going to do a repeat on it. So what we had done was put all our heart and souls and energy into putting one festival together. And we thought once this yeah. is done, we can go back. I can go back to my accounting and everyone can go back. And then we thought, yeah, well, hey, there we go. That, thank you, Dad. That's a nice tribute to you. And that's all it was. And it was not ticketed, if I'm correct. It was ticketed. And uh, what had happened was there's an organization in the UK called the Arts Council of England, and they are entrusted with supporting arts in the UK by the government. And so they give out grants for different things. So we had gone to speak to them. I had prepared this massive spiel about how good Tabla Online is, how revolutionary it is. It's going to just be the new big thing in Indian classical music. And that's, you know, that that's what we should do. So when I went there, I presented it to them and I could see they weren't interested. So I thought, well, forget that. They're not interested. <laughs> so that was a waste of a, a meeting. And I was really despondent because we'd spent so much time and effort yeah. planning Double R Online. And as I was leaving, I said, by the way, I, I am doing a tribute for my father. And they said, oh, yeah, what's your tribute? And I said, oh, I'm doing this. It's uh, so many concerts. It's over three days. We've decided to call it a Darbar Festival. And they said, no, no, come back, come back, come back. And I said, they said, they said, sit down, tell us a bit more about it. So when they heard about it, they said, look, this is, uh, as it's a public event, we can fund this. And then we then set up a constitution. We set up a, a small a group together to run the management of Darbar and we set it up as as a, a community interest company and um, so we got some funding from the Arts Council and by the time we kind of realized the cost of the flights, hotels, meals, uh, we wanted to pay all the artists, although the artists were saying, no, we don't want to be remunerated. I felt it's incorrect to do that. So whatever was a fair fee, we had agreed it with them. And then there was all the uh, airport transfers, everything. So by the time you realize it's a big project, and then we did put a, a, f- a fee on the tickets. Uh, there were a number of uh, guest passes that we had given. And I've always been a believer that if you're presenting good quality, why is it that we do not have ticketed events? You know, I'll, I'll come I'll come on to ticketing maybe a little bit later on in Darbar, how we do it. So it was a ticketed event. It was Absolutely. one-off. And uh, it was Pandit Ajay Chakrabarti sure. who kind of came on the stage and said, um, this is really exceptional, uh, what what you guys have done, and please don't just leave it as, as a one-off. And because it was a tribute, the slightly the values of the festival were different. So we had requested all the artists to uh, come, uh, fly in, uh, but stay with us stay with us uh, for the entire duration. So um, I think the, festi- the festival was from Friday to Sunday, but they all flew in on Monday or Tuesday, and they all flew out on the Monday, the following Monday. So for five, six days, they were together. And it was interesting. 
because you had three of the world's top the blah players who came and they were just like uh, hi how are you blah 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 it's all a bit not not very warm and then a few days later by the time we'd done the vip dinners they were all together everyone was chit-chatting it was just like one big family it was it was a very unique atmosphere and then we delivered the festival and uh, you know with god's grace um and the prayer the the festival um was delivered really really well it was very very emotional for me because it was just a, a for me it was just a personal tribute you know and um in that moment i had uh, decided that what interested me again was the hi-fi sound and video and over the years my f- my father's photography interest had rubbed off onto me and, uh, i made sure that we out of the family money we paid for the filming of it and uh, we we paid for the sound to be recorded on a multi-track back in 2006 we'd hired in a lot of uh, very expensive equipment to do the do the audio recording so it it was all captured and then a friend of mine was a, a world class photographer so we'd asked him to come and photograph it uh, for posterity um and that was it you know so it's so like that is uh, the genesis and how darbar was born so it wasn't born out of hey guys why don't we set up a festival you know let's go and set up a big festival this is how we can do it none of that it came from a, a very somber situation out of a lot of uh, respect for someone who had dedicated his life in the UK and we thought a lot about the ethics and values of his life and he often we used to have some interesting discussions about different artists so you know my father brought a lot to it so when we delivered the first festival we had carnatic music we had hindustani music we had drupad we had uh, percussion so you know that matrix was unique because no one had witnessed some that kind of mix in 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 a festival ever before and then i didn't realize at the time that actually this doesn't even happen in india and uh, Yeah so that was back in 2006 wow uh, while you were saying that uh, how did you curate the first uh, how did you go about selecting because back then all these artists did not have internet profiles and everything how did you contact them how did you ensure that these are the people you want to bring them so the way we curated the first festival was the the central uh, main artist who finished every evening was the three tabla players uh pandit and indra chatterjee uh pandit kumar bose pandit swapan choudhury so they completed the every evening and then the main acts were uh, before for them in the evenings so it was quite a difficult one because we had pandit ajay chakravarti but normally you would finish with pandit pandit ji but we spoke to pandit ji and said look this is a tribute to dad are you okay to play in the first half and he was very humble and he said of course i'll i'll sing in the first half so he sang in the first half and then after him the final concert was by pandit swapan choudhury and then through sensual music they had a massive catalog and access to musicians so i worked closely with them to listen to the musicians and do it so when we first started the first opening session was just by dad students so they did a, an opening introduction uh, to the thing um then we had different musicians uh, we had the bahudin dagar from the drupad tradition and by then that time i kind of knew quite a bit about drupad and who was doing what and um 
in terms of the vocalist and all the artists, I had good knowledge of who was who. And then so between myself and Alpesh, uh, we sort of sat down with, uh, you know, being an accountant, a blank spreadsheet. <laughs> So you start with a spreadsheet and then you just sit there with the names and you keep on moving them around and you keep on swapping them around with other artists. And then one day I just kind of looked at that and I thought, you know what, that is, that's the dream team. If I could get these artists here, then that would be amazing. And that's how it was curated in, in the first year. So it was kind of a, a joint effort. Um, yeah. So we never sort of set up a panel. Uh, that it should be a curation panel and um but what happened after that was that it was evident we were going to do the second festival okay but i needed to go back to work and uh, so i managed to get myself into a contracting job and then i started doing planning for the second festival and in the second festival um alpish uh, and his family decided to take a back seat and then yeah. so i was left just with myself and kulbir so that became really challenging and um Typically, I'd sort of go to work and then come back and then open my laptop and then be working through till midnight. Weekends, I'd be working through till midnight. And then we kind of um, delivered the second festival. The first one, a lot of people thought, well, kind of they've fluked it. And uh, the second one, they thought, mm, they're a bit lucky. They've done the second one. And then the third one, when we delivered the third one, uh, people thought, oh, maybe there's something here then. You know, and um, by that time, you know, we'd also had people like uh, Ustad Shahid Praveen, Praveen Sultanaji, you know, another number of, number of notable artists, Koshiki Chakrabarti, who was very young then. Uh, and when we look back at the pictures, we all think, oh, my God, we all look so young. <laughs> so uh, in the second and third year, I kind of started taking more control of the curation. And uh, what we decided was that... Uh, yeah, I ended up doing the, all, all the curation. And then when we set up as a proper charity and then we had a board, uh, the board were very, very good. No one ever said, Sandeep, shall we set up a, a panel? And uh, But I did say to the, the board that, look, the day you think I've kind of really messed up or screwed up, then please tell me because then I need to step down. You know, and there will come that point uh, where I need to step down even today. I tell my board the same. I said, look, you know, when you think I'm doing a bad job, tell me, then we can we can try and find someone who can, who can do a better job. So in terms of curation today, it's it's become quite complicated now. It's it's quite challenging. When we first started, we weren't well known. No one knew of us. People had started hearing that there's an organisation in 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 England doing a festival. So I think that people kind of started had gone around but the more that the artists were coming here the more they were going back but a big shift happened in 2009 so after delivering three festivals i took the festival then to uh, we moved it uh, to the south bank center so the south bank center was the most prestigious venue in in london it was where javis Vadev had done a lot of his concerts and i loved that venue so we were very fortunate to have done the festival there but it wasn't uh, easy and then so after that we actually moved the festival away for two years to another venue called the king's place before coming back to the south bank center so you know it, it's it's had its challenges every year and uh you kind of think that when you develop a festival each year gets easier because you know how to do it believe you me it's not it just gets bigger more complicated more more challenging there are there are a lot of expectations and uh i guess from around 2015 to 
to 2019, we really stepped up the game. And uh, we stepped up the game in terms of our ambition, in terms of what we were doing, the scale. Uh, we went from like in in Leicester, we were only a 180 seater venue. When we went to London, we jumped to 350. And then in um, I think it was 2015, yeah, 2015, we jumped up to venues of uh, 3,000 people. And uh, to take on such projects, no one had sort of taken on that kind of risk in the UK ever to do a three-day festival of Indian classical music in a hall that big. And you asked a question which is really interesting about ticket pricing. So I feel very strongly that we have a really big problem in India, that in India, in our capital city of Delhi, we do not have paid concerts. And anyone and everyone expects to be invited to these concerts free of charge. In the West, uh, if you want to go to opera, you, you pay a lot of money. So the funny thing is that you have all the multimillionaires from India who live in the UK have paid extortionate amount of money to uh, the Albert Hall to get uh, permanent seats. But yet these people will not support the arts in India. Yeah. So, okay, some people will argue, yes, they do. They're supported through CSR. But really, CSR is just an extension of marketing. That's what I see, you know. So, uh, you know, why is it that they want to see a big fat logo sitting behind an artist? That's their own ego speaking there. And uh, we've always had it that we will never have marketing on the Darbar stage. That's why whenever you see a video or something, you'll not see any marketing anywhere. And we have tried working with companies in India, and I've just walked away from it because uh, either you let us get on with the work the way we want to do it and support us, and we will acknowledge your work and and, and uh, your support, uh, but in a in a more sophisticated way, not in a brash way that you can stick your logo behind it, you know. So we always felt that you needed to charge the correct price, and there was a turning point we had. We were doing a concert at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. And up to then, we were charging, I think, £20 per ticket or something, or maybe 25 And when we were doing, it was a concert of uh, Pandit Kushildas and Pandit Kumar Bose, I realized that these are two of the finest musicians we have. And you're in one of the finest halls. You cannot charge that kind of money. You need to charge the correct amount of money uh, for that experience. So then we took up the ticket price to the right price and we still managed to get the number of people audiences coming in and then i realized that there is something that if you're giving people the right experience then the correct fee should be charged for that the thing is the artists nowadays aren't really interested in negotiating they will just tell us this is what we want and india has become more economically stronger so there's more money floating around in india and in turn the artists are now getting better paid so they've got no interest in coming to london unless they really paid properly and the fees are really high and the expectations of everything else is there and and rightly so this i've got no qualms with paying artists what what they need to be paid i just have to balance the books and that's my t challenge. So I have to then look at it and see, right, can I afford that? Yes, I can. So this is what I can do. But I've always been really open with the artist that this is what I've got. Are you okay with it? And uh, uh, my belief is that the more we can charge, the more we can pay the artist, the better the standard our artists can have. You know, um, if a top conductor can charge £50,000 in the UK, you know, I wish we could have that kind of money floating around to pay our artists, you know, for what they do, because they are 
absolutely amazing what they do and what they deliver you know the sadhana that they have done the level that they have taken this art form to is the the best in the world and uh, you know so that's why i think uh, ticketing events is really important you know or to put it this way the value of nothing is nothing Uh, but when you moved uh, into the second third uh, where did you get the support from uh, did you do it independently or did you raise funds through the arts council of england or we've always been supported by the arts council of england and that's the good thing in the uk so uh, what we had to do was uh, we had to do grant applications every time we went and did the festival and um, yeah it was tough it was every time you had to sort of go back to the drawing board and go to the arts council look we've done this can you support us further then uh, we got to a level where you have different tiers of funding in the uk and then we there's a level of funding called uh, a national portfolio organization which is what they call an npo and you can then prove to them that you have a board that you have a business plan and that you have a track record and they feel then confident that yes we can support this organization over a number of years so they then supported us uh, for two years i believe it was then another two years and then Uh, the current period is a four year funding period so that's your core funding but what they do expect is to see diversification of income through ticket sales through other trusts and foundations through individual giving through corporate sponsorship and we were very lucky back in 2008 we struck up a, a partnership with sky television to produce television programs and that became transformational for darbar because we started filming at broadcast level and uh, I guess the the brand development uh of the bar the bar was set very high because we were working with a broadcaster the broadcaster set the standard for us in terms of filming and obviously gave us the funds for it because filming at that level is not cheap so we speak, we started producing programs for sky so we started delivering the festival we started producing tv programs for sky and we we developed that internally that strength and skill um of how to produce the programs and uh, so that's been a, a really big part of it so in, naturally what happened was then we had a live stream a strand of work where we did live concerts and outside the festival we started doing other concerts uh, we started an education a project where we started teaching in schools uh which was the, kind of the legacy from my father is going back into that and then we started going into the digital world which was the youtube channel uh and we set that up back in 2007 so i guess we were kind of pioneering in in that way and in terms of technology we were always pioneering so we were the first company to have gone hd uh so when every everything i mean it sounds probably really ridiculous now something called standard definition <laughs> so we we were the first to go into high definition and we've been the first company to go into uhd or 4k which is now known and uh, in 2019 we launched the first uh, 8k vr uh video project uh so we've always been kind of uh, really interested in where technology is heading and where it's going to go you're brilliant i mean um, processing editing 8k videos are not so easy isn't it so do you have like a dedicated studio space uh, for darbar how do you do this <laughs> Yeah so over the years uh, first it was just uh, producing programs for for the TV uh, series and then we'd run out of money 
Then slowly, we started putting a little bit of money in, started getting an editor to come in uh, uh, one day a week or two days a week. And that was really from around 2015. And uh, slowly we've uh, developed it. And uh, in 2018, um, a g- good friends of mine, uh, Jagdeep Shah and uh, Raj Mystery, uh, they came on board and helped us develop and set up what is now the Darbar Concert Hall, which is uh, kind of a Netflix for Indian classical music. It's, an, it's a subscription channel. So because of that now, uh, we have uh, a full editing suite, uh, studio and uh, we have a very small team. I have to say, people think Darbar is a really massive team. It's actually a core team of three or four people. Oh, <laughs> okay. And how do you scale up? Inviting volunteers to work during the fest? or It's, it's meticulous planning. Uh, okay. And we just bring in the resource when we need to deliver the festival. Excellent. But behind the scenes... People think that we must be like 15, 20 people, must have big offices, all of that. No, no, no. There's uh, three of us working, and then we have one one or two current contractors. That's on average uh, how the bar works. It's a very, very small team. Uh, but I guess we we're just very okay. focused on what we do. Can you call Darbar now as a profitable venture or? It's okay. we are set up as a charity. We okay. a we are a non-profit organization. Um, okay. When when we when we charge for ticketing, we still don't break even. Mm. We uh, Any work that we do is never broken even, and we are still funded by the Arts Council of England. So this this field is very, very tricky. I guess it's a, an issue for Indian arts and culture, and it stems from the motherland. So if you've got cricket, it's really well funded. If it's Bollywood, really well funded. When it comes to Indian classical music, it's not so well funded. And what you've got yes. is a number of festivals that have established themselves, like Savai, uh, Dover Lane. You've got the Chennai Music System. You've got the uh, Music Academy in, in the South. So these organizations have built up. And then you've got corporates like ITC who support the ITC SRA the Sangeet Research Academy in Calcutta. So it's really, really the, the corporates that are keeping up the sector. But the problem with the with that kind of funding is any funding is that there are always terms attached to it. And the curation becomes a bit tricky. So if someone says to you, I'm going to give you 10 lakhs or I'm going to give you 50 lakhs, they're going to say, first of all, we want so many seats right at the front. Secondly, we want these artists there. Now, if they're going to give you 50 lakhs, what are you going to say to them? You're going to say no to them. You can't. So already your your curation is compromised. Your your curation is also compromised because you've got a committee. I believe strongly that you cannot curate by committee. I would rather curate, and yes, I can acknowledge and put my hands up and say, yeah, you know what, I've made a bad mistake with that person. Yeah. Or, yes. you know, sometimes it's just the case that... Artists can get overwhelmed, like you said, uh, in in a humble way that people would like to come to perform at the bar because it's it's uh, at a standard. And you know, we we like to give opportunity to many people. And so what I've done is I've created curated created a, a curation framework around values and ethics. You know, and like one of them is that we don't have repeat artists uh, generally. I mean, over the years this has become a bit trickier because. Um, so we still try and give it five, six years between artists. Sometimes an artist might slip back in, uh, but uh, on on the whole, it's like that. But what that's done for me 
is it's made me think more carefully how do I find new talent where is the new talent where is uh, not only new talent in terms of uh, age you're talking about there are great masters who do not get on the stages in India for whatever reasons there are great masters uh, uh, from all all genres that are uh, facing that problem and um, we don't have any politics and we're not tied to anyone in India so we can just do it totally independently we're not connected no one can tell us what to do or guide us so we just do it independently and uh, that gives us the strength and courage to program in in a way that we feel reflects our tradition today and uh, where we think we want to take it in, in the future so we have a, a big balance between uh, respecting the great masters yeah and some of them are legends in india and then we have uh, there's a whole tier of artists that are internationally touring uh, and are well known but then there's a whole uh, number of artists who are either in india and never have traveled out so they are what i what we call first timers to the uk and that's a really big pocket for us to program and then you've got just emerging talent bright sparks who we think oh my god this young person needs to get on the stage you know yeah so i think that's that's how we've been um, curating uh the festival and and the, like i was saying to you earlier when i was younger with my father I used to have these conversations i used to have this argument that if someone is good they would be well known but my father proved me wrong because he said no what it is is that they are great masters they're not given the chance and i said dad you're wrong i said look no i said if if you're good inevitably you will be found out and then you will be given the place now years on i realized that my father was right that there are great masters they're not given the chance for political or other reasons and and i'll and i'll be really bold about this either you're the wrong religion you're the wrong caste yeah and because of that and the way your uh, organizations are structured you they're not going to be given a chance or they haven't got the guts to program someone in what i don't like is this three tier system that oh let's put the junior first let's put the next person forward mm-hmm. then let's put the big master at the end that doesn't wash with me right? right because yeah. i have heard right. people like zakirji when he was young he was just amazing you didn't need to have a great master after him you could just put him on you could take the risk with him equally now you have a bunch of tabla players who are just emerging who are just peering mushrooming mushrooming from india who are fantastic and if you don't give them the chance now when are they going to get a chance so i feel strongly that it should be on quality not always just on seniority okay. about how you program and a lot of yeah. the times we did program some senior musicians um and then before them we put very young musicians on and you know what it became challenging for the young musicians because they knew that here was a great opportunity but they also knew that god if i mess this up it's going to be a real mess up you know but you know equally i've heard in 1982 there was the bbc proms and during the bbc proms ustad irshad khan was only aged 18 and he played rag jog and he played jog for just 30 minutes this is bloody amazing so i think from a curation point i've realized that now what i try and do is and youtube has become a big leveler because you could just take your phone record yourself and whack it up on the on 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 the youtube i'll give you an an, uh, an example of some curation i remember hearing this person on a youtube clip it was an abang 
that I had heard. It was a really terrible YouTube video. This is back in 2009. So I kept on hearing this recording and I thought, this guy has got something in him. He is amazing. So I called him and I said, we'd like you to come and perform at the Darbar Festival. I couldn't speak Hindi. My Hindi was all broken. I had to get uh, another musician to call him and explain who we are. And, and he finally agreed. Long and short of it, that was Pandit Venkatesh Kumar. In 2009, he was not known. He wasn't on any of the stages. We brought him in 2010. And I'm so happy that after, shortly after that, he retired from his position. And he is now, you know, a household name in the Indian classical thing. So, you know, there are artists like that, but there were also other, you know, young musicians that we found on on YouTube and just thought, wow, that, that person's really great and needs to be given the opportunity. So what would be your advice to young artists? How should they find route to? It's a tricky one because we've thought about this a lot. Uh, so we are thinking now that maybe what we will do is on the new website, uh, we, okay. which we're going to launch soon, is we will have a section that if you're interested in performing at the bar festival please upload your cv and a clip of yourself somehow uh, uh through facebook linkedin i'm already there i don't hide myself so people do somehow always get to get through to me it's impossible to go through all the requests that we get but i try and endeavor to do my best to listen to as much as i can in the busy days that we have but inevitably now what's happened is that in my head i already have a year or two years programming roughly there i know this is what it is and it's that going back to that spreadsheet model where you have a spreadsheet you, you try something and then sometimes you think okay this doesn't work this year but maybe next year i can invite that artist uh so we can okay. do that but also we try and program at least 30 percent of our curation with women artists so that's a big driver for us and i try and might do my best to see if i can get to 50 percent if i can get in a festival to 50 percent i think well, hey, that's great. And, uh, but that's a challenge. And uh, recently we've become more bold and we, we're talking about strong issues like Me Too within the Indian classical tradition. Uh, it just goes back to the, the values and being st strong enough and being bold enough about talking about this sort of situation. Yeah. So I, I, I guess uh, it, the, the advice is find us through. Uh, you can always email us at hello at darbar.org, which is through our website. So there a lot of people do that anyway. And uh, we, we, get f we get connected. And I go out to India once a year and I'm searching for uh, talent. And then what we do is we also go and do filming uh, for the YouTube channel. And we short, maybe record some short pieces uh, with uh, young, young musicians. And that's probably the time I can actually hear them one-to-one -one in front of me and I sort of make decisions during that time as well that yes I think you know this, this person can be given a chance on, on, on the on the on the stage I know there's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders with that because we don't curate by committee but I guess that's just the nature of it and now what we're thinking is that because the festival only happens once a year and we can only accommodate so many artists that maybe the way forward is that 
when we go to India, we will start doing filming. So the filming will still be another level of endorsement for artists to perform. And uh, we can then give them a platform through through the YouTube channel, you know. That's brilliant. But uh, do you think it is a because some musicians they don't actually collab a lot. Does it become uh, like a mandatory requirement for darbar to be on the selection criteria? Like if I am a tabla player, but you always have some in independent features as well, or you look for like a coming together like a in a group and perform what is the take there on okay so there's two two ways of curation one is on the music side which is my responsibility and on the dance side it's uh, through akram khan and so when when okay. it comes to dance i don't interfere with his curation he decides how and what his vision is and then we just trying to make sure that we can deliver it uh we've done three years where we're looking out to see whether he will carry on that partnership with darbar and um it's uh, it's been really invigorating for us to bring dance into the festival uh because it, the the level of value that he has added has been tremendous uh in 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 the UK so one of the ethics and values statements that we have is that we want to give uh, respect and dignity to every artist so what we do is we do not uh bring in groups what we do is we contract with every artist separately so what i will do is i will think that say for example in a festival we might have three vocalists you might have one drupad and their their accompaniment needs are different to say uh kial and then let's just say you have kial you might have one female vocalist one male vocalist and then what we will do is i will know which accompanying artist that they normally perform with so we will then work out this this harmonium player or this sarangi player is suitable and then we will try and find someone who is a good uh tabla player for vocal and then we will just bring that one tabla player who will then accompany all the vocalists and then maybe do some other concerts so we have limited capacity to bring in a lot of people because we're not based in india it's not easy for us just to do that to to fly everyone in we still maintain the whole thing about coming in staying with us for 6 7 days then going back we still maintain that you know and artists are very kind that they sit in on each other's concerts and that really becomes a a transforming experience for them because when they're performing not only are they performing before the london audiences but they're performing in in front of the great masters themselves you know uh, so that experience is really really unique you know you've got yeah so that's that's special so but we contract separately with every artist and pay them a fair fee and the reason for that is i i believe that accompanying artists are always undermined you know his fee is just that much don't worry about it you know but my fee is this much so we don't get involved in that so uh, the main artist has no idea or has anything to do with how much we pay the other artists and how we we're dealing with them so that way uh, i think it's it's a much fairer system okay so they all practice in india they come to uk and maybe you give them a practice space like one rehearsal space and then perform no no no, no. <laughs> okay. straight on the stage okay <laughs> straight straight on the stage <laughs> <laughs> this is the beauty of our indian classical music there's okay. no need there's no need but obviously i've already discussed it with them in india that you know uh, is this tabla player okay i are you all right with this accompanying you know so and nine times out of 10 they've performed 
with each other before somewhere in India. And even if they haven't, uh, I mean, in the UK, we have a couple of very, very good tabla players. We have Sukhwinder Singh, we have uh, Sanju Sahai, we have Shabazz, we have uh, Gurdain Riot, we have um, uh, Surdarshan, you know, so we have a big selection of uh, very good tabla players in the UK. So that helps us a lot. Uh, and um, the rest we have to sort of all bring in from 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 India. Uh, I saw some pictures with you and the Queen uh, together. What was it all about? Uh, Swetnak, that was just uh, uh, very kind of whoever kind of nominated me, but uh, I was uh, awarded the uh, the OBE, uh, which is uh, an award in the in the UK where the Queen awards uh, people for work that they've done and mine was for services to Indian classical music and it was a bit of a funny thing so I was just with my wife and I had this very formal letter that had come and it looked like uh, the inspector of taxes had written to me so I thought oh my god is this a new tax bill (laughs) (laughs) and then when I opened it I couldn't couldn't actually believe what it what it was but uh, it was very humbling and uh yeah, so that's what it was. And then we were fortunate. We went to uh, Buckingham Palace and there was a, a very nice ceremony and then you're uh, awarded. Um, so that's that's how it came about. What is What does OBE stand for? It's the Order of uh, the British Empire. And uh, in, a, in a way, it's uh, some, I would say some people from non-white backgrounds have actually rejected it because they want to make a statement because of colonialism. I kind of felt that that didn't serve a purpose, that you're in the UK, you are a British subject, you're working hard towards your field, and uh, if you've been recognized for work that you've done over a period, you should be thankful, and hopefully that can only help us uh, open more doors uh, for us Um where we can propagate our Indian classical tradition even further. Uh, last question, uh, Sandeep. Uh, was there anything that didn't work according to the plan? You know, because there are so many. It's it's a game of coordination and planning. Did it ever happen that something did not fall in place according to the plan? And could you share some story there? How did you manage? When we first started the festival, we started with uh, a spiritual blessing and an ardas. And I believe that as uh, professionals, we call it points of failure. Points of failure within a project are so high, it can be anything that can go wrong. I, I don't know how it all comes together. All I can say is that we still stand on a prayer. We still stand on hard work, dedication, and common sense and logistical planning, minute logistical planning, the detailing. Um in the early years, my friends used to laugh. They used to say, Sandeep, you do a festival for, for three, four days. What do you do for 360 days? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? But uh, so I would say that we still stand on a prayer. We're lucky that God has been very kind to us, that uh, everything always works out. And before any festival now, we still start with an ardas. Even in the halls, we still start with lighting of the jyot. Whichever senior male or female artist is with us, with a spiritual aura around them, I always request them to light the candle. And in lighting the jyot is the prayer from them in the audience. And this is what our tradition tells us. 
that this is um, a path to the truth. Indian classical music is a path to the truth, and um, we go back in its in its simplest form. The sadhus had worked out centuries and centuries ago. The mystics had worked out that the first sound was Om. We should never forget that. We should never forget that this is a spiritual tradition, that this is a transformative tradition. If we are truthful to the cause, then things will work out all right. It's the same as a musician. When that musician is on the stage, they're in a way naked because there's nothing to hide behind. There's no flashy lights. There's no flashy accompaniment. You have just the tanpura running, and they have to awaken the rag in that auditorium in that time. So they are the composer. They are the conductor. They are the musician to make it all happen in an improvised way, and that's profound. It is a profound tradition that we have that dates back thousands of years. We have to respect that. We cannot never be arrogant about what we have and what we don't have. Festivals have come and gone. I just pray that we can find the next young team that we can mentor and give them the support and the strength so they can carry on their bar's work. So their bar's work is not limited to the current team. I think that's very, very important. And we should always uh, remain humble. We can be professional in our outlook uh, because all the team is professional. We are still striving to improve it. That's through iterations of learning how to do something a little bit better, a little bit better. You polish it, you get better. That is a never-ending goal of mine, that how far can we take it? How far can we take that experience for the audiences? But fundamentally, we all st- the festival always stands on a prayer, you know? And uh, we we can only do Ardas that it stays that way. And so far in 15 years, we've been very fortunate, you know? And this pandemic that's uh, impacted all of us has had its own silver lining for Darbar because we've been able to really focus on the digital and it's allowed us to create new content and uh, that content is all being put out on onto the YouTube channel for more people to access Indian classical music. And for those who have the subscription to the Darbar Concert Hall can experience it anytime, anywhere sure. when they're when they're traveling. They can put their headphones on. They can immerse themselves. The free YouTube content is unique. If you've got a, the latest VR headset with the headphones, you can put it on and it'll transform you into India. In India, you're sitting there before a lake with an, uh, an artist performing you. You can look around and you can see the blue sky. You can see the sunrise, you know, or you can see the sunset. So for us, it's, uh, it's about giving the best uh, opportunity for Indian classical music and dance to flourish. And, uh, yeah, all stands on a prayer, I would say. Sandeep, it was really an honor having you and, you know, a lot to take from this conversation and how holding on to philosophies and values, you still can build a product or a brand as good as Darbar and keep the quality there. Thank you, Swetanag. It's been a a real uh, pleasure uh, talking to you. So, I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation on Indian Artpreneur. Do not forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for quick updates. We catch you soon on our next episode where we will be talking to entrepreneurs from performing arts landscape of India. 
have a good day